Hey, Storehouse family. The season of Lent begins today. Uh, some of you are very familiar with this liturgical rhythm in our church over the last couple of years. Uh, some of you may be totally new to this. Let me walk you through a little bit about Lent. Uh, the season of Lent is a time where the church historically has set aside certain seasons to focus on a, on a certain or a specific time in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, the season of Lent serves to focus uh, on his time in the wilderness as he was fasting, and this could be found in Matthew 4. Throughout history, Lent has taken many shapes and has had many different approaches, but the purpose uh, remains the same. Self-examination, repentance of sin, and preparation for the Easter celebration. This has often been, or this season, has often been accompanied by spiritual disciplines, habits that are meant to help us draw closer to Jesus. For the season, we've decided to intentionally focus on uh, three spiritual habits, that is fasting, prayer, and generosity. This past Sunday, you should have picked up uh, some of our, or one of our devotionals on the Holy Season. Uh, it begins with Lent, and it takes us all the way through uh, Resurrection Sunday. If you were unable to pick up one of the devotionals, you could always visit our website and download the, the Devo. Before diving into this devotional video, I want to thank our writing team uh, for their contribution to this material. They put in so much thought and work to it. They've done an amazing job. If you don't know who uh, our writing team is, it consists of Elsie Ruiz, Laura Vendaño, uh, Cristina Peña, Alan Morales, and myself. In addition to that, I want to thank our dear brother, Everett Castellano. He is our sole designer, and he did an amazing work putting this devotional uh, together. This whole project is always one of great love and labor uh, for our church. Our hope in developing and writing content like this is so that you would grow as a disciple who knows and lives like Jesus. So to that effect, church, I hope that you are blessed by this short devotional on Psalm 32 as we begin the season of Lent. Hey, Storehouse family, I hope that you are doing well. Welcome to our video devotional on uh, the season of Lent. If you got a Bible, let me invite you to open or load it to Psalm 32. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to read our text, dive into prayer, and then we will dig into our time. And so here's what God says through the psalmist. Beginning in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Let's pray. 
God, as we dig into our time, we are thankful for you. We are thankful to worship you through your word. In the season of Lent, uh, may you reveal to us the condition of our hearts. By your spirit, may you bring conviction of our sins so that we would change, so that we would be more like Jesus. At the same time, Lord, would you bring comfort to us so that we may draw near to you. As we consider Psalm 32, may uh, your word be sweeter than the taste of honey to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my man, the philosopher Socrates once said that the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. I think that's really helpful. I think it's insightful when it comes to defining certain words. As Christians, I think we can be guilty of assuming certain words because we use them so regularly. Uh, One word that comes to mind is the word grace. We handle that word as much as we handle a hot tortilla in between our hands. In our text today, we're going to see that the psalmist uses two words that I think we can be guilty of assuming with one another. Those two words are confession and forgiveness. Like the word grace, I think we're guilty of misusing these two words and even assuming them. For instance, have you ever tried to define forgiveness? Often you and I will go back and forth on describing forgiveness or even saying what forgiveness is not, but have you ever defined it? I think often we can be using the same words, but in reality we're on different pages. And so in our time today, my goal is going to be to provide clear and concise definitions of each of these two words for the purpose of drawing near to the grace of God for us. What I want us to see in Psalm 32 is that these two words, when we look at them correctly, when we look at them rightly, these two words we're going to see are actually a work of God in the people of God. And so with that being said, let's dive right in and begin with confession. Here would be how I would define that word. Confession is admitting and confronting our guilt. Consider uh, verse 2. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Here's where we'll focus. He says, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. The word spirit is referring to the man's spirit, and it refers to his intentions and the kind of words that he uses. It's referring to the condition of his heart. He's not just confessing something openly to dismiss it, to move on from it. He's not just saying, I did it, let's just move on. In reality, he's confronting his sin. He's confronting the weight of his sin. Honestly, he is confronting his guilt. Additionally, in verse 5, he opens by saying, I acknowledged my sin to you. The word acknowledged here means that he's confronting his sin head on. He's not just admitting that he's done something. He is confronting it head on. He's putting it all on the table. He's confronting his sin for what it truly is. 
You know, oftentimes some of these prosperity preachers will often use this expression, uh, name it and claim it. I was thinking about this earlier. If there's ever anything that we wanted to name and claim, it would be our sin. And that's exactly what he does in verse 5. To admit and to confront our sin, to confess it, to put it on the table, it's a great act of humility. But we need to realize that this is not done in us through willpower. We're not compelled to do it because of our own strength. We're actually compelled to confess because of God's hand over us. Flipping back, go to verse 3 and 4. He writes, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. All of these expressions that he uses in verses 3 and 4 are meant to kind of give you the imagination, give you the illustration of his brokenness over his sin. They're meant to illustrate his weakness. Uh, they're meant to let us know about his inability to do away with his sin. Right, He's tried to keep it to himself. He's tried to hold on to it, maybe work himself out of it. But really what these little expressions teach us is that he is weak. He is unable to do away with it. And you and I are similar when it comes to our guilt. We try to work our way out of it. We try to sweep it under the rug. We work really hard and diligently to try to run away from it, to forget it, to move on from it. Sometimes we'll work hard to excuse our sin or to even justify our sin because if we can get to that place, then maybe, just maybe, God is going to understand. But what we see in verses 3 and 4 is that the Lord replaces the joy of life with the conviction of sin. See, it's at this point in the psalm where the writer uh, uses the word Selah. The word Selah is a Hebrew word that invites us to pause and consider. That is, think deeply about what was just written. To sit in the mud with our own thoughts and emotions. To reflect on what God is possibly convicting us of, to reflect on what the Spirit is stirring in our hearts. And so for a moment, let's pause. Consider a couple of these questions. For instance, is there unconfessed sin in your life that you're trying to really work hard at getting away from or work your way out of? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that you can admit, but the way you approach it isn't one with confrontation, but one with pride. This is my problem. This is my doing. This is my issue. Is there sin in your life that you are making peace with? Is there unconfessed sin that keeps you from the joy of life. When we confess our sin before the Lord, something happens. There's a release that takes place. In confession, we realize that what we need comes from outside of us, that what we need 
cannot be met through our own efforts or how hard we work or how sneaky we throw things under the rug. What we need is something bigger than us. What we need is not found in our control, but in the grace of God. Confession reveals that our only hope is God's grace for us. And so to that, let's consider forgiveness. As I mentioned in confession, there's a release that takes place. This release is the experience of forgiveness. When we turn to God, we freely receive the gift of forgiveness. That's the beautiful reality. But what does it mean? In a moment, I want to consider five principles of forgiveness, but let's begin by defining it. Forgiveness is a commitment to freely absolve or release someone of their guilt. Consider verse Uh, Verse 2, one more time. Actually, let's go to verse 1. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And then verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In other words, the Lord does not count the psalmist's sin against him. Psalm 103, I don't think this is in the notes, but Psalm 103 reads like this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He doesn't count his sin against him. The psalmist is still right before God. Again, consider verse 5. He goes on and says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, that is the Lord, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When he confessed his sin, when he turned to the Lord and confessed his sin, the Lord forgave him. And so once more, forgiveness is a commitment to freely absolve or release someone of their guilt. And so now that we have that definition, let's consider five principles about forgiveness. Number one, the source of forgiveness is God. In verses one and two, he uh, writes the word blessed. Who is blessed? The word there, it means happy. Who is happy? Only the one who has been forgiven by God. Only the one who has been reconciled to God. Forgiveness is a work of God. Again, this is not in your notes, but consider the words of Paul to the Colossians. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The source of forgiveness is God himself. Those who are blessed, those who belong to God through faith in Jesus, those who are faithful confess their sin, not so that God would show his mercy, but because God is merciful. As a result, the only reason you and I 
have the capacity to rightly forgive is because of how God has first forgiven us of our sin. So number one, the source of forgiveness is God. Number two, the experience of forgiveness is from outside us. I want to look one more time at verses one and five. Beginning in verse one, he goes on and says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Here it is, whose sin is covered. You might want to highlight, underline, or circle the word covered. And then once more in verse five, he goes on and says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Here it is. And I did not cover, circle, highlight, underline that. I did not cover my iniquity. These two words are similar in the English language, or they're the same in the English, English language, but originally they have some distinctions between each other. In verse 5 that we're looking at here, the word cover refers to what we, or the psalmist, could not do for himself. He could not cover his sin on his own. He couldn't work his way out of his sin. He couldn't sweep it under the rug. He couldn't forget about it. He couldn't hide it. He couldn't justify it any longer. This word cover in verse 5 is the same word used in Genesis where we see that Adam and Eve attempt to cover their shame before God. That's what you and I try to do. We try to cover our sin, our own efforts, our own work, working our way around it, working our way to cover it up, and it doesn't work. In verse 1, the word covered refers to something that has happened outside of the psalmist. It's something that has happened for him from another. The word covered here is the same word used in Exodus 12, where the people of God would or ended up covering the doorposts of their homes with the blood of the lamb. When we reflect on Psalm 32, what we're seeing is that the only way he could be released or absolved from his sin was through the work of another for him. Consider Proverbs 28. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Listen, the forgiveness of sin is not measured by the intensity of our penance. That is, when we're trying to release or uh, uh, release ourselves from our sin, try to work ourselves out of our sin, or where we're trying to forgive ourselves. That's not the way it's measured. The forgiveness of sin is measured solely based on the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The experience of forgiveness is from outside of us. Number three, the receiving of forgiveness is conditional. So I want you to notice that the psalmist experiences the forgiveness of God only when he turned to God. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. See, prior to that, the hand of conviction by the Spirit was on him, but it wasn't until he turned could he experience the gift, the free gift of forgiveness. 
we need to wrap our minds around that. We're not entitled to forgiveness. It is freely offered to all who turn to the Lord in repentance. Forgiveness is costly. It sounds harsh because we think we're entitled to it. But the truth is, not all are forgiven. I think Scripture is very clear about this. But to all who turn to the Lord and repent, experience the free gift of forgiveness. Number four, the outcome of forgiveness produces reconciliation. An outcome of forgiveness from God uh, is reconciliation. In other words, we are restored back into right relationship with Him. We got to remember, we are reconciled to God because of the cost of Christ for us. When it comes to being reconciled, we are in right relationship with Him. We are in right relationship with one another. But it also means that something was sacrificed in order for us to be right with one another. In the case of Christ, He was the ultimate sacrifice. As a result of the Spirit dwelling in us, what is it that sacrificed when you and I reconcile? It could be our pride. The idea here is that not only does God not count our sin against us, but that we are restored to Him. We are called blessed. Number five, the reality of forgiveness might mean that there are consequences. This isn't a popular one, but the reality is that there may be consequences to our sin. So let me explain. Forgiveness from God to us is a commitment from Him to not count our sin against us. Cool. It also means that who we are in Christ is not annulled. We are children of God because of Christ. And that doesn't mean that consequences don't follow through. Not always, but sometimes. What you and I need to reckon is that the consequences of our sin are not the result of punishment from God. Rather, it is the discipline of God to us as a father disciplines his children. And the goal of such discipline isn't fear, but holiness. Consider what the author of Hebrews says. This is Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 11. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all, seems, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So to summarize, five principles of forgiveness. The source of forgiveness is God. The experience of forgiveness is from outside of us. The receiving of forgiveness is conditional. The outcome of forgiveness is reconciliation. And the reality of forgiveness is that there might be consequences. Forgiveness is a commitment to freely absolve someone of their guilt as God has done for us in Christ. Church, words matter. Socrates said it. But more importantly than a philosopher is Jesus when he said that out of the heart 
the mouth speaks. For the one who knows God through faith in Jesus, you are called blessed. You are called beloved. Why? Because the Lamb of God took it upon Himself to receive the greatest consequence of our sin through the cross, absolving us of our guilt so that we might be reconciled to the Father through His blood. You have been forgiven, not only based on what God has done for you, but because of who God is. You now, through the Spirit, have the ability, access, and comfort to turn to the Lord in confession, knowing that you have been absolved, released, rescued, forgiven. Do not turn toward your pride. I don't deserve this. This this doesn't make sense. That's man-centered. Don't turn to despair. Why would God want me? That's man-centered. Turn to Christ to be reminded of the deliverance of your sins so that you would delight in the Savior. Christian, what do you need to confess to the Lord today? Who do you need to go to and confess? James says that we are to confess our sin to one another, but also pray with one another. If you're not a Christian watching or listening to this, thanks for joining us. Let me ask you, what do you do with your guilt? You can't absolve yourself. You can't forgive yourself because your source is faulty. But God isn't. He's not faulty. He's not fickle. He's not inconsistent. Instead, He is committed to freely forgiving all who turn to Him in repentance by faith. Church, confession and forgiveness of sin is a work of God, a beautiful work of God in the people of God. I hope that you're blessed by Psalm 32.